Welcome to the Invest with Clarity podcast, where you will learn how success in investing, as in life, is the result of absolute clarity. Mark Pearson of Nepsis in Minneapolis, Minnesota, shares his passion for portfolio management and commitment to transparency and communication to allow investors to fully understand what they own and why, bringing them to clarity in their investments. And now, here are your co-hosts, Matt Halloran and Mark Pearson. Hello and welcome to another podcast with Mark Pearson. Today on the Invest with Clarity podcast, we are going to have a three-part mini-series. Now, one of the reasons why we like to do these mini-series is because it allows us to stay very, very focused on a specific topic. And the topic that we're going to talk about in this three-part mini-series is four steps to invest like a pro. So, Mark, when when we were talking about this, I just said we're doing a three-part mini-series, brother. But we've got four simple steps. How are we making this into a three-part miniseries? So, well, the title of it is the four simple steps to start investing like a pro. The four simple steps to start investing like a pro. Of course, you know the word pro is typically a shortened version of the word professional. And who doesn't want to invest like a professional, right? Well, I sure do. Right. A professional is someone who is excellent at their craft or a profession, as you know. And of course, Wall Street, academia, and the financial news outlets tell you that investors should entrust their portfolios to, quote, so-called professionals. Now, of course, we, as you know, probably, uh, for once, we agree with the big three elites. However, in name only, we are not referencing the word pro as a shortened version of the word professional, but as an acronym that defines a much different approach to the investing process, which of course we talk a lot about here on the show. For -hmm. investors to invest like a pro, they don't need a fancy designation or a master's degree in finance. In fact, as a a matter of fact, as you know, I can't even spell CFP or CFA. (laughs) But what they do really need is a simple process built on, as we love to say, my friend, clarity. Absolutely. Okay. So, yes. so we're going to go over the four simple steps and, and pro is an acronym. We're going to start with P on this, uh, this podcast today. Then we're going to go to R on the second podcast and O to wrap everything up. So you got it. What, what the heck does the P stand for in so, this, uh, in this yep. acronym? So the four, the four steps as part of your investing like a pro is in the P's you got portfolio holdings, price swings, predictions and performance. So what do we mean by these? So the set the baseline, of course, for the P, the first letter, uh, in portfolio holdings, the question has to be asked, how do investors view the underlying businesses held within their portfolios? As a matter of fact, do they even know what they own in their portfolio in terms of businesses? And of course, as we're recording this, we're going through another massive pullback in light of the China tariffs and all the fear and certainty and doubt going on in people's minds. And people, uh, many people don't know what they own and they don't know why they own it. So uh, when you think about the fact that when you own stock matters, we've talked about before, you are an owner of a business. Literally, you own a piece of a business. And so how how do investors view those businesses? Personally, I think if they don't even know what they own, how can they even view them, right? Right. They can't, you know, they they, they they don't even have a mentality that, you know, I'm an investor in a business, which then leads me to the next point, which is the price swings. Not only do I, how do I view the businesses I own, but how do I view 
the volatility or the ups and downs of the prices of the businesses within my portfolio. So for an example, if I don't know what businesses I own in my portfolio, how can I judge volatility? In fact, the way I'm probably going to judge volatility, like a lot of people probably do, is, well, I'm in quote unquote invested in the market. And being invested in the market means I don't have a connection to what I own. I don't have a connection of knowing what I own and why. And so therefore, this is why people become far more nervous about volatility. By the way, can I ask you a rhetorical question? Well, yeah, but does that mean I have to answer it? I'll I'll leave that up to you. <laughs> All right, ask me the question. So why is it that the industry requires a suitability questionnaire or a fiduciary questionnaire before a client starts working with an advisor? Why do they do that? You know what? Are you trying to put a bee in my bonnet, dude? Because I could go on for that for a long time. That's okay. Go ahead. Give, 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 tell me what you got. Well, so here, here's the biggest issue. Number one, I think the fiduciary standard is, is just wrong, right? Uh, I think that the idea of of what making a blanket statement on what suitability is and just even having to use the word suitability begs the issue that we've had in this industry forever, which is not doing what's in the best interest for the client. Right. See, I, I just truncated that. That could have been a 30-minute speech. Yeah, well, you and you started out by saying what's wrong with fiduciary. What you meant is what's wrong with suitability. Yes, I did. Yeah. I apologize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. Just to clarify. So, uh, all right, let's take that a step further. From a fiduciary standpoint, as we are here at Nepsis, a fiduciary, not suitability, and we won't get into the rules and regs and what's the difference between the two. At the end of the day, they're both structured to do one thing, which is to help the advisor understand not only the tolerance, the risk tolerance an investor has, but what their investment objectives are, correct? Yes. Okay. I also believe that volatility is not risk, right? Because volatility is what creates the opportunity to buy more businesses on sale, right? Or whatever you're investing in, right? Correct? Correct. Okay. So, why is volatility considered risk in our industry when we are required to go through a suitability slash fiduciary questionnaire to understand risk tolerance, i.e. tolerance for volatility and investment objectives, right? And yet people get all nervous when there's volatility. I mean, if your portfolio is allocated the way you want it allocated based on your investment objectives and your risk tolerance, why do so many investors worry about volatility? I, I, Mark, that's why I love doing this freaking podcast with you because I have no idea. It just seems that people, people love to worry. And, and I, and personally, that makes no sense to me at all. I would rather have confidence I, and understand the companies I, I own and why I own them and right. making sure that they're entirely in line with where I want to be when I grow up from an investment management standpoint. Okay. So agreed. But here's the deal I don't think people want to worry. But what causes worry? What, what causes people to worry? I mean, people don't want to worry. Now, people can be negative, and, 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 and a lot of people have a negative bias, right? Mm -hmm. But I don't think people say to themselves, gee, I love worrying, right? So oh, I don't why do they worry? Now, there could be other ancillary facts. Like I, I had a conversation with an investor yesterday. They're, they're 
You know, they're worried about the politics. They're worried about the world. They're worried about everything that's going on, right? But yeah. they've gone through the suitability process. And by the way, once our fiduciary process with us, but once you explain to them your game plan, right, your process, once you explain to them the business they own and why they own them, this client came out of the meeting just feeling outstanding yesterday, regardless of all the noise, right? I believe that people worry about volatility, despite the fact they've done a suitability or a fiduciary questionnaire, bluntly because they don't know what they own and they don't know why they own it. They, their mentality is, I'm invested in the stock market. I'm, I'm not invested in businesses. I'm invested in the stock market. And therefore, because I'm invested in the stock market, I have a much broader range of worry than looking at my portfolio and say, you know, I own this company called Johnson & Johnson or, you know, Walt Disney or mm -hmm. whatever company you want to name. And I like that company and that company's not going to go away. And maybe if it goes down, you know, maybe if it goes down 10%, maybe it should go down another 10% because I even want to buy it cheaper <laughs> because I'm a long-term investor. Mm -hmm. It goes back to the old adage, Shelby Davis, Davis Funds said, had a quote, which I think is a phenomenal quote, which is people make the most money in bear markets. They just don't realize it at the time. Oh, I I've never heard you say that before. That's freaking brilliant. Well, thanks, Shelby Davis, because I, I took it from him. <laughs> so, so, so how do you know, going back to the four P's, how do investors view volatility, ups and downs in the market uh, or, or of the or, or the prices of the porf of businesses in their portfolios? Now, we're going to we're going to cover these. We're going to answer these. But let's go to the third one, which is predictions. You mm -hmm. know, uh, you know, we've trademarked addiction to prediction. Uh, oh. People always want us to prognosticate, postulate and speculate. And you know what I say to them when they want us to do that? I've well, it could be more colorful than we need to have on this podcast, I, I, Mark. I, I've never, I've never met an armchair quarterback that was wealthy. <laughs> I'm That's on fire awesome. today, aren't I? <laughs> yeah, you, you, uh, yeah, you woke up on a very interesting side of the bed, my friend. <laughs> so let's go to performance number four. How do investors view and compare performance of the securities in their portfolio? Right. So. Uh, let me reiterate them again, and then we're going to go and we're going to start for this part one of the podcast, uh, wrap it up, because people will have to come to podcast number two, mm -hmm. right, to uh, get to the R part. But the fact of the matter is, if you are invested in publicly traded companies or, uh, or, or in bonds, whatever you own, your portfolio and mutual funds, exchange traded funds, whatever the case may be, you own businesses. You own a piece of a business. And uh, because they're publicly traded, short-term events can cause price swings, whether it is a function of something going on in the greater economy or something going on within that business, right? So, how do you as an investor view volatility? Do you view it, view it as negative, as fearful, or do you view it as opportunity? Because here's the deal. We've said this many times before, Matt. You don't make money or lose money in an investment until you sell it. Yes, I don't care how right. far it's gone up. Mm -hmm. I don't care how far it's gone down. 
if it's part of an overall portfolio allocation and strategy, everything in between the beginning point and the end point, i.e. the buy and the sell, is all tactical in nature until you, uh, is, I shouldn't say tactical, strategic in nature until you sell that position, until you sell that company or sell a portion of that company. The in-between, the noise, the rhetoric, the fear, the changing economy, the news that everybody's glued to on the TV, all are short-term effects to a long-term process, right? You know, there's more cash statistically on the sidelines today than ever before, even at the bottom of the financial crisis, Matt. Let me say that again. Still? Oh, yeah. Well, there's more now. I mean, people don't understand what they own and why they own it. Let me, I'm going to squirrel for just a second, just a little <laughs> bit of an analogy for you. Okay. Do you find, so there's a lot of people who are coming into the investment market right now, the millennials, right? And the millennials are starting to get to that age where investing is becoming more important, right? I believe that millennials are not buying index funds because they're cheaper. I think they're buying index funds because they don't see the value in the other opportunities that are out there. So you want to know why I believe that? Of course. Look at the trends in natural foods. Look at the big companies out there having to provide food solutions to the millennials that are what? Healthier. Yeah, organic, free trade, healthy. Sulfur, yep, safer, yep. Right, healthier. They pay a lot more for it, don't they? Yes. Okay. So is investing really is is really investing about price or is it about value? Because clearly millennials have shown they're willing to spend more money on quality. They're willing to spend more money on things that are going to have an impact on their life. I believe that investors do not know what they own and why they own it. And they are more hyper-focused on the news of the day, the yin and the yang going on from the prognosticators, postulators, and speculators, that they, they throw their hands up in the air and say, you know what, if I buy the S&P 500, I at least know I own the top 500 companies in the United States, and I'm good with that. Mm-hmm. Now, is that in their best interest? No. But they're saying to themselves, why, why own anything else? Because, hmm. I, I, look, I, I, at least I know what I own when I own the S&P 500. If I start owning all these ETFs and I start owning all these mutual funds, I really, I, I have what? Less clarity. Yeah. And so I'm going to pay as little as possible because I'm not getting any value by working with an advisor Hence the growth of the robo-advisor, because as you know, financial advisors made the investment recommendations for their clients over the years. Well, if the financial advisor can't really provide any value to the client about the investments that they're making, and they can't provide them any clarity, why not just go buy the indexes and do it cheap? Okay, I'm going to squirrel with you here for one moment because you just triggered something that we have not talked about before, especially when it comes to millennials, which is massive brand loyalty. Yes. And so being able to parlay the the brand loyalty with, with understanding what you own and why you own it would seem to me that millennials would be flocking to your organization to find out and make sure that they are investing with clarity and understanding what they own and why they own it. I want you to mark on this podcast 
when you said that right now. And we're going to come back to that in the near future. Okay. Because I do have a fundamental belief as, I wouldn't say quirky, maybe uh, er some would say arrogant. I say confident. I believe one day Nepsis will be a household name. Huh. For that exact reason mm -hmm. you just said. It, it gets back to previous podcasts that we've done where we've talked about the power of clarity. We've talked about, can you put a value on ultimate clarity, a financial value, or even, frankly, a psychological or an emotional value? Everybody would say that clarity is a good thing. And the greater clarity I have, uh, I should be more equipped. I should be more equipped, better equipped to make the decisions I need to make. Mm -hmm. And in the financial services industry, what we have done is we have turned the industry into a McDonald's franchise. Mm. Go to Fidelity, go to Schwab, go to Vanguard, which is go to Burger King, go to McDonald's, or go to Wendy's. Pick out the Happy Meal that you want to have. Get your French fries and your hamburger and your Diet Coke, right? Which is not healthy for you, by the way. I don't think. I shouldn't say that. Because uh, uh, in moderation, it's fine, right? Mm -hmm. But if all we do is have fast food, that could potentially have health effects on us, right? Couldn't that be the case with our financial planning, our investments when we don't have clarity? Yeah, I have. It just in life in general, getting philosophical here, um, everybody wants to know what's going on. Right. And that's why, you know, people are glued to their phones all the time. That's why people are glued to the news right. all the time. Okay. And, 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 and with their investments and their retirement and, you know, all of that sort of stuff, they want to know that in it, it is that nebulous, strange, really kind of scary yep. uh, environment that most investors live in. And that's why they go to those last two of the four P's, the predictions and the performance. Yeah. The only way they measure th how well they're doing is by comparison to benchmarks, which is a detriment to their plan. Because frankly, the only benchmark the investor should be thinking about is, am I on track to have the financial future I want to have? When you start putting emotional positions into it, i.e. Mm -hmm. predictions, and you couple that with performance, people begin to become armchair quarterbacks. I should have done this. I should have done that. I wish I did this. I wish I did that. Yet everyone wonders how they can become super wealthy. Now, I'm not saying you can become super wealthy investing in the stock market. You can, but there's no guarantees, right? Right. But business owners that create wealth, create wealth because they know what they own and why they own it. And they continually invest in their businesses as long as the long-term fundamentals haven't changed, Right. So when you think about investing like a pro, the P, portfolio holdings, what businesses do I own as a business owner? Price swings, i.e. economic factors as a business owner of a private business. Do I put my head in the hole or do I continually invest in my business over time? You continue, they continue to invest in their business over time. Predictions. Do they look at predictions? Maybe, maybe not. Do they follow them? Maybe, maybe not. Are they good, bad, right, wrong? 
But at the end of the day, after looking at those predictions, how does it impact their performance? And how do they view the performance of the businesses they own? They don't look to see whether their business has done better than an index. They look at the performance of their business. Did it meet the expectations for the business plan that I have in place? That is the P's of investing like a pro. Okay. Do you want to give us a preview of what's going to happen with the R in the pro uh, yeah. before we wrap up today's Absolutely. podcast? Absolutely. Okay. So let's, let's take the completely the uh, opposite side of investing like a P. Wall Street, academia, and the financial press, for purposes of profits, relevancy, and acclimation, of course, would rather see investors not have clarity. Uh, well, why not? So as to rely heavily on them for professional advice. And what happens when they get professional advice? They got to pay for it. Mm -hmm. And they put their money with them. And so they get into a situation when they're in a state of ambiguity by suggesting investors view investing not in the four P's, but in the four R's. I'll give you the four R's. And then we'll talk about that in a podcast in the second, in the second of the series. Renters, risk, reliability, and return benchmarks. All right. So this was part one of the four simple steps to start investing like a pro with Mark Pearson at Nepsis. We are going to continue with uh, number two, where we go over the R, which Mark just gave us a good preview of. If you have not subscribed to the podcast, make sure you click that subscribe now button below. And if you know somebody who needs to hear this three-part series, please make sure you click that share button. Super, super easy uh, to make sure that you get this out and about so that people can be educated on the proper way to manage their money. So for everybody at Nepsis, this is Matt Hallern, and we'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon. The content discussed is for informational purposes only. It is not a solicitation or recommendation for any securities that may be mentioned herein. Advisory services offered through Nepsis Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. 